You're listening to the Sewing and Grown podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. Welcome back, everyone, for Grandpa's and Great Orders Part 2. And I just need to say this. It's not just grandpas with the great stories. I'm thankful for grandmas and stories they tell and the cookies they bake. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say that. They leave the pie in the window and a story that pierces your heart. But see, <laughs> that's a little more heavy than what I was hoping yeah. for. But grandmas really do tell some great stories. I didn't have very close relationships with either of my actual yeah. biological grandmothers, but I found some great grandmas, not great right. grandmas, but some <laughs> valuable grandmas. Because I was thinking of great grandmas. I found some great like grandmas. Double nope. generation. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I found some that. great, great grandmas. That means very valuable <laughs> great grandmas. All right. Oh my goodness. Well, anyways, we're we're digressing. Yeah. I want to uh, go ahead. I want to give some shout outs because again, yes. I found these people in the church. We made mention of this on the Lessons from Our Fathers podcast. You may not have the best relationship with your dad, your mom, or your grandparents, but you can find people of these same age ranges that God brings into your life when you're in the house of God. One of them being Carmen Chi. Yes. I'm going to give a shout out to Carmen Chi. You may hear her shout in worship. You may <laughs> hear her run around the church. You he- say here, yeah, she's shouting as she's running, folks. But she also <laughs> will tell some great stories. Yeah. And when I moved out of my parents' house at the age of 20, I had a lot of ramen and she always filled in <laughs> and made sure I didn't go hungry. She like had a mandate from God, I think, that I wouldn't go hungry. And I'll tell you what, when Carmen Chi was looking over me, I didn't go hungry. No, she she was very kind. And sometimes I would go out to eat by myself after Sunday and she would be with another grandma and they would like be like, John, will you eat with us? And I'm like, absolutely. And they would tell stories hmm. for like an hour while we were eating. I'm so thankful for wow. Carmen Chi. So, and then another one, you mentioned Anita McCorkle. Yes. Anita McCorkle no longer lives in this area, but man, she can make a great cookie. Yeah. We've made cookies with her. And we, we have made we have wore her. her aprons while yes. we were making, and we told stories while wearing the aprons while making cookies in her house. So my point is this: we're mainly men. We often address men, yeah. talk about grandpas, but we're thankful for the yeah. women. We're thankful for the yeah. grandmas. You want to know why I think grandparents? Well, it's actually going to probably shift away from this as the generations keep progressing, but in this current generation, like the the boomers, even some of the Gen Xers. They're good at storytelling because technology was different. A lot of things were passed down orally, oral tradition. And so, you know, they had to have a way with words to be able to communicate. Right. And the way they were communicated to, usually what would happen, they sit around the radio. I'm just thinking about right? when, yeah, you or I noticed something cool. It's like, dude, send me that on Instagram. Send me that, dude. And then I'll just watch the video. Right. Where before it's like, I saw this amazing thing. There was no way to send yeah, it in their DM on it. Instagram or Messenger. Right. You had to tell them and you had to get the nuance of it. And you had to try to communicate it exactly. to the degree that you heard it. So that's passing away. But Lord, with help podcasts us. like Lord, these, help us. it won't. Amen. Yeah. So first episode or first part of this series was about storytelling, the importance of storytelling. And there's going to be a lot of crossover. Um, this one's going to be a little bit more about public speaking. Um, some tips on how to speak better, speak more clearly, how to get over the nerves and the fear. And um, hopefully you'll just, you'll, you'll come away listening or come away as a listener being equipped for 
the next encounter, the next time you have to speak to someone, if it's a group of people, if it's a whole audience, um, you're going to have to speak to someone at some point in life. It's good for your health, folks. I think I mentioned this earlier in a previous podcast, but there is a TED Talk, which we might address TED Talks here on this podcast because I like watching them. I think they're entertaining. They're TED great Talks. speakers. If you want to watch and imitate some great speakers, TED Talks have some great speakers yes. on there. But one of those TED Talks was on life expectancy and what causes people to live a long time. And the number one indicator was not if you ate high fatty foods or if you smoke cigarettes. It was on the amount of people that you have small mm -hmm. conversations with. Yeah. It'll help your health. Connection. Connection. Is so important. That just reminds me, this is a kind of off topic, but there's a there's a influencer out there who you may not want to subscribe to his methods, but his name is the Liver King. And <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of this guy. Go ahead. And because uh, liver is king, he's uh, he talks about he's he eats liver in carnivore diet, but he has these tenets that he abides by, um, and they're like ancestral tenets. But one of them is connect, and he referenced that same statistic that that's one of the most important indicators of someone living is if they have people to connect with. Makes me think of a great orator, which is also in the title of this podcast, John Maxwell. He has a book called Everyone Communicates, Few Connect. Wow. So connection, making making connections with people is going to require you to talk to them. Um, so I was looking at a list of the biggest fears um, that people have of, of Americans, um, and it, it was very interesting. So these are some of the fears that actually these are the top fears um, that Americans have. Um, we'll start at the bottom. Uh, ghosts. <laughs> uh, clowns. Uh, I, I have been a clown. I've been a creepy clown at times too. Yeah. yeah. Before the Lord redeemed my clownness. <laughs> Darkness. Um, zombies rate higher than being afraid of the dark, which is a little weird to me. They're not even real. don't exist. Yeah. Here's another one. Strangers. Ooh, that's being a afraid big one. of strangers. Flying. Claustrophobia. Ooh, I get that one. Being afraid of blood or needles, drowning, that's a big one, bugs, snakes, or other animals, top two, fear of heights, number one, public speaking. Mm. So people are actually more, they, they would rather die right. than speak publicly. And so number one fear of Americans, more than dying, more than drowning, more than heights, more than zombies. Which the way I like <laughs> to look at that, even though there's nothing really good at looking at that situation and enjoying it, but is most people would rather be the person in the casket at the funeral yeah. than the person giving the eulogy giving the at eulogy. the funeral. Right. And that's a hard thing to do. I've spoken at a funeral um, and it can be nerve wracking. So Mark Twain, one of the best communicators, storytellers to Classic. live. One of the best in the game. He said this, there are two types of public speakers, those who get nervous and liars, those who lie about getting nervous. I agree. So being nervous is okay. Again, me and John are not, uh, I mean, we actually, we already we are addressed this, man, in the last episode, we are professionals. <laughs> we are, but we still have a lot to learn. But we're but not boastful We are not boastful, but we get to have a lot of practice because you speak weekly. I do. I speak probably monthly. You used um, to speak weekly. I used to speak weekly um, to the youth and to the church. There's times when we get up and we preach to a few hundred people. And there are – every time, I'm nervous. Every time. Every time. So you're never probably going to get to a point where you're just not nervous. So how do you overcome those nerves is the, is the, is the big thing. So um, 
I think a great way to um, not be nervous is let me let me put it this way. So I had a speaking class, a public speaking class in school, and what they would do is um, they would have someone get up and share for about ten minutes, um, and then afterwards they'd say, on a scale of one to ten, how nervous were you? And most people would say an eleven. They were really nervous. And off then, the Richter scale. Off the Richter scale. <laughs> then they would consult the rest of the class. On a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous do you think they were based on what they said? Most people would say 2, 3. High discrepancy. High discrepancy. So you are always going to feel more nervous than what you communicate. What you project. What you project, right? So just understand that. The first thing is just to have an understanding and an awareness that people aren't catching on to what you think they are. So you might be thinking, everyone's seeing me sweat, everyone's seeing me stutter, everyone's... Probably not. Which alludes to what we said in the last episode. It's like a drug to us when we get up there and communicate. It feels so good to just say, I'm so nervous right now. Right. But don't it's blow a your self, credibility. It's, it's called a self-soothe. And a lot of times you can you communicate that through your body language. You'll say something and then you'll you'll rub your leg or you'll right. you'll look away or you'll shrug your shoulders or do something that's that's communicating that. I mean, if or there's if a you have your hand if there's on your a hair the whole psychologist time. in the in the audience, they might know that you're that you're uh, you know nervous. But most people won't. But if you say that you are, then you've just communicated to the whole audience um, that they need to be now looking for those indicators that you're nervous. Yeah. And whether the person's a great person or not, subconsciously, there might be a little bit of discrediting going on going, oh, this person's nervous. Maybe I don't need to listen to them. You know, and I, I'd love to say we're all super saved and that stuff doesn't come into our minds. But when people start off that way, hey, first impressions aren't everything, but they carry a little bit of weight. They carry a little bit of weight. So don't ever tell the audience that you're nervous, scared, or sick. Um, and there's a, there's another saying that says, you know, don't let people see you sweat. Um, which is hard yeah, when well, the room's at a high temperature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when it's 73 degrees in there, I'm going to sweat a little bit. You got those halogen lamps coming down on you. Yeah. When I'm leading worship, it gets pretty hot up there, but, um, you don't, you don't need to give people a reason to discredit you or, or devalue you. Um, and a lot of times you're thinking, well, I'm just going to be vulnerable with them. Well, if I'm sitting in the audience and you tell me that you're nervous, first of all, I'm thinking, wow, what an excuse. <laughs> um, but second of all, it, it discredits what you're saying. So don't do that. And again, people are not going to notice how nervous you are. Um, so just don't worry about that. Um, and we said this in our last episode. Uh, most people are only going to remember the first thing you said and the last thing you said. So it's really important when you're public speaking to formulate something that's very impactful and engaging right off the bat. And we also said this, that you have about 10 seconds to captivate your audience before they tune out. Um, so that's why it's always good to start with something that's humorous, like a joke, because Part of public speaking is being able to interact and engage with people's emotions. One of the most prevailing emotions is humor, and and humor isn't an emotion. It's how you provoke an emotion. Right? You would have fooled me. I could have said <laughs> humor is an emotion. What is the, yeah, um, but joy. People, yeah, joy, happiness, laughter. Lightness. Um, lightness, silliness, all of that stuff. It helps open up the heart because when people are sitting in the audience, they're pretty closed off to what you have to say. So if there's a way you can open them up to that, specifically in the first 10 seconds, you're going to have a more successful time speaking to that person. So uh, using humor, sometimes using a prop. I remember in Bible school, um, Jerry Willie, 
um, you know, he taught on faith, but the first thing he did was he brought a massive sword on the stage. And I just remember looking like, wow, that's huge. What, what is he going to do with that? Okay. I, I need to know what he's going to do with the sword. Another shout out to Pastor Mark. Do you remember when he like baked a cake yeah. in front of the whole church? Yeah. I remember that. And Pastor Tasha does that in her Bible school class. And uh, she was talking about um, Legos at one point because um, the Greek word Legos um, means building blocks. So there it is. Do people know about that, right? And listen, we didn't just take the fact of the cake, which is like steps to your faith and like using ingredients or Legos. We got the biblical connection behind it. So it really does help yeah. connect. So those are a few things to help you maybe not be as nervous and scared. Here's another one. Um, when you are speaking to an audience, it's really good to scale them down. So it's called scaling the audience. A lot of times comedians will do this. I've heard a few comedians um, use this method. They talk about scaling down the audience. So what they'll do instead of speaking to a thousand people, they'll find three people in a group that are already engaged with them and they'll talk to them and then they'll move to another three people and talk to them because it's way easier, hopefully for you to talk to three people than it is 300 or a thousand. So scaling down the audience into bite-sized chunks, finding people who are already connecting with you and finding them in each section of the audience and then rotating. I'm going to talk to these three. Then I'm going to talk to these three. Then I'm going to talk to these three. I'm guilty of when I'm speaking, I find a favorite section and I keep turning to that section. Yeah. But how powerful is it when a speaker actually looks you in the eyes? Have you had that like with yeah. a normal, not, I mean, not a normal person is speaking, like a guest speaker that's never been at the church before. And then they're looking at you telling a point. It's like, whoa. I know. And I think you make a great point. Find three people and then rotate through them because you're going to go to each section and that really right. helps stick it. And that might make you even more nervous because you're making eye contact with someone. So hopefully you can build up to that point. Another good common practice is to look over everyone's heads. So, um, you know, I want you to get to the state where you can actually have eye contact with someone without freaking out. But until you get to that point, when you're speaking, um, still find, you know, still approach and, and, and connect with each section of the audience, but look over their heads. Because yeah. then a lot of times you don't see the stares that they're yeah. giving at you. <laughs> By default, when you look at people in the audience, we're just going to say this as speakers. Uh, <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. You may or may not be a handsome person. I don't right. know who's listening <laughs> to this podcast. But most people in a church hopefully have the joy of the Lord in their heart, but their face has no idea of it because they're right. sitting there frowning. Yeah. And if we were to base our performance on the way people's face look, we'd all be depressed as speakers. Let's yeah. just be honest, but I'm not depressed. You're not depressed. And it reminds me no. of what God told the prophet Jeremiah in the first chapter. He called him as a young boy and he actually tells them this, do not be afraid of their faces. So you need to take God's advice to Jeremiah to heart. Um, don't be afraid of their faces, folks. Yeah. Don't be afraid of their faces. And there's been times, you know, cause we, we are live streamed and I will be up on stage during the offering time. And I'm trying to listen to who the speaker is. I'm behind them, which means the camera is pointing at me. And I've been sent screenshots of my face at that moment where I just look like a robot. And I'm listening. So by default, we kind of just go to that very like subdued kind of zoned out look. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid. The audience is probably going to look like that. There'll be one or two or three people that are very engaged. Find those people, but don't be, don't be afraid of the people who aren't that way. Yeah. Um, so 
when it comes to public speaking, when you have something that you are wanting to share with people, there's two attitudes you can have. Simon Sinek addresses this. Simon Sinek is a very, very good public speaker, very uh, well-published, renowned author, and he has a book called Start With Why. Leaders Eat Last. Yeah, Leaders Eat Last, but he's he has a lot of great tips on how to public speak. And he said when you first um, – when you're invited to speak somewhere – uh, you have an attitude that you are bringing. So the attitude is either I'm giving them something or I'm taking something from them. And he said that sometimes he he uh, uh, sees people and the very first thing that they do is they shout out their Twitter and their Instagram, say, give me a follow, give me a like, do this. Here's my new book. It's very clear that that speaker is there to take something from the audience when he wants to have the attitude always that I'm there to give something. So he's not going to be like, hey, the point that, you know, the key to, the, to success is found in my book, which you can purchase for $12.99. He's not going to do that. He wants to have the attitude of giving. So when it comes to speaking to people, have the attitude that I'm here to give something. I'm not here to take something. My 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 goal shouldn't be, hey, I'm going to I'm going to speak to these people and hopefully I get a standing ovation. Right. You, you got the wrong motive. Yeah. I'm just thinking of that and how that applies. Uh, giving or taking. I like I think it's John Maxwell again. He said there's two types of people in the world. The people who walk into a room and say, here I am. People who walk into a room and say, there you are. And it's where your focus is in something I can't. I've tried to practice and I can't remember where I learned it from. And it's not right for everyone, but it works well for me is when I'm nervous and I'm not sure I'm in a new situation. I try to arrive at the venue early and I try to talk to as many people I can before I actually mm. speak because that's my opportunity to be vulnerable. It's yeah. not at the beginning when I say, hey, I'm really nervous. Right. It's me going around, it's the wrong hey, kind of I'm John, I'm excited to be here. Tonight's going to be great. And to some degree, it might be self-seeking. I'm trying to win them to my team before I ever communicate. Yeah. So when I actually speak, I'm not speaking to a crowd of strangers. I kind of welcome people as I came yeah. in. I remember my grandfather's funeral. I was 21 and I officiated his funeral and I went to the, and I was one of the first people there. I wanted to greet people as they came in, like, hey, how's it going? First off, because I thought people might have some compassion on me. Hey, who are you? I'm his grandson. I also was doing the funeral. <laughs> you know what? I knew that would help me, but also they would know me and I would know them. And that helps me communicate to them. That's that's very good. Really good point. Um, a point I want to make um, about public speaking is authenticity engages. So being real and authentic to your crowd because I think people can smell um, poo a phony. From, yeah, they can smell a phony. Sorry, well, I keep getting phone calls, man. Um, it's okay. Silence my phone. Uh, authenticity engage, engages, and you referenced this in part one. You talked about selecting a story that resonates with you. Do you like it? Do you like the ending? So when it comes to communicating a topic, do you wholeheartedly believe what you're saying? Are you applying it in your own life? Are you being authentic about it? Find a, Speak on a topic that's real and that resonates with you and be real and open and honest about that topic. Be authentic. Authenticity engages. And be aware. Awareness is a very good thing. So figuring out what the demographic is, your audience, what their age is, um, using methods that engage that demographic. So we mentioned earlier about youth. You know, methods for grown adults versus youth are going to be wildly different. So as a speaker, you need to gauge the demographic and use methods that are going to engage that um, uh, that demographic. Um, another thing I, I, I'd like to say is um, 
uh, be anecdotal. So that's like three A's, authenticity, awareness, anecdotal. Um, you know, that word is sometimes um, in, referenced in a bad light, you know, anecdotal evidence. But when it comes to speaking to people, people engage with anecdotes way more than just statistics. So if, I, you know, if I'm just giving a lot of numbers to nail home my point, it's not going to be as impactful as if I give an anecdotal experience because anecdotal just means a personal experience that you have. Right. Um, so again, that's testimony, right? Mm -hmm. So being anecdotal is a very great way to communicate your point across. And then I'll just say the storytelling aspect, when you can give a story, um, uh, to help drive home your point, it's going to make things way more impactful. So, uh, never, make a point without telling a story and never tell a story without making a point. Yeah. I, I really like what you said about statistics and then anecdotal stories or stories from it. And I remember being in Jerusalem and going through a Holocaust museum. Now, listen, there are large numbers of Jews that were killed. I believe it was 6 million. And ultimately the Nazis killed 11 million people during World War II and the time surrounding it. But that museum wasn't full of numbers. It was full of stories because what they wanted to communicate to the world was, let's not forget about this because history repeats itself and we never want this to repeat itself again. And the main way to get to you is not just give you a list of numbers and names, but to give you stories behind those names. And yeah. I can remember some of those stories. Maybe you've read the book by Ely Weasel Knight. You can yeah. remember those stories. That's what's going to have a greater movement on the inside of you to, to bring about a change, to remember to communicate to somebody else. It's not just yeah. numbers. So they did a, a study, a YouTube study. They looked at the TED Talks that were on YouTube, and they found the the top ones, the ones that had hundreds of millions of views. Um, and 85% of the top TED Talks that were viewed on YouTube, 85% of them were story-centric, which means they were centered around stories. So the points that they were trying to make were always accompanied with stories yeah. supplemented with stories so storytelling is so powerful and if you didn't listen to part one go listen to part one because this will all make more sense um so here's some more some some tips on on um public speaking i keep saying that here's some tips uh that help me um practice what you're going to say so when you when you have your structure of what you're going to say, recite it in front of the mirror and actually even record yourself. So what I do is I will record myself or record times I've talked in the past. And then I will write down how many times I said, um, or, uh, and then make mental note to try and eliminate that. Cause those are just fillers when you don't know what to say. Um, so trying to rehearse it and recite it in front of a mirror, I tend to write things down. I'll write it down even word for word, not so I can memorize it word for word, but I, I say, this is what I'm trying to say. This is what I want to communicate. This is the heart in what I'm trying to communicate. So I'll write it down. Then I'll read over it once, twice, three times, get it down in my heart. And then I'm not going to read it or try and memorize it. But what I communicate is going to be pretty close to what I wrote down. Yeah, I think it's great. I like that you said that you record it and listen to it. I mentioned this in the first episode that the last yeah. episode talking about storytelling that storytelling is an art form best done in front of people because you're yeah. telling somebody a story but that can be intimidating you don't want to open up uh if you record yourself you'll hear all of your inconsistencies yeah. and your frailties and listen often we are our worst critic so if you listen to it 
hey, it's easier to be self-critical than have somebody else criticize yeah. you. So if you're nervous about the speech you're going to give, practice it in front of a mirror. Look at how you're saying mm -hmm. it. I used to, as a young kid, I would have my iPod that I could record video on, and I would record myself on an iPod and watch like everything about it. And to a degree, I'm going to be a little harsh here, but hopefully you can handle it because you know I'm a smiley, nice guy. If you're super nervous about an event and you're not willing to take the time to record yourself and see how you're coming across, I don't know how invested you are. Wow. I'm just going to leave it I there. Agree. Say law moment. It's a say law moment. Yeah. You want to, you know, you, you, it, it. <laughs> <laughs> I blew, I blew the words out of his mouth. I took the air out of him. You want to communicate to the audience that you value them. And one of the best ways to value your audience is to be prepared. And sometimes that's going to require you being very uncomfortable listening to yourself. Another statistic I heard that that most people really hate the sound of their own voice. It's true. Um, I fall in that camp. I do not like the sound of my own voice. But if I value people, I'm going to record myself. I'm going to recite in front of the mirror. I'm going to see how my hand gestures are going. I'm going to see how I enunciate. And if I uh, you know, if I go up on the end of a sentence versus go down, those things matter when you're communicating yeah. to people. And that reminds me of the saying, because uh, you might be listening to this podcast going, this seems really natural and not all that spiritual. Well, I've heard this and I somewhat agree with it. The statement is, prepare as if there was no Holy Spirit and then minister, or we could say, tell your story, give your speech as if there was only the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We always, in all things in life, have a joint responsibility, our part and God's part. And I believe God really looks at the yeah. effort and the yeah. weightiness and value that we put into communication, yeah. and he's going to support that. Yeah. And then we'll be more free and open to allow the movement of right. the Holy Spirit in what we're sharing. Yeah. So anytime I have the opportunity to, to preach at church, I take it very seriously, and I'll take about a week to study, and my notes are very thorough. But every time before I preach, I think I just burped in the mic. I apologize if you guys heard that. <laughs> Every time I get, I, I'm about to to preach. I, you know, if I'm in the green room or Pastor Mark's office, whatever it is, I'll sit there and I will say, "Holy Spirit, uh, help me to convey what you have me co to convey." I know I've prepared all these notes, but if I have to break away from these notes to do what you need me to do, then I will. So I prepare like there is no Holy Spirit, but I'm always leaving room for Him to communicate and and use me in a way that sees fit. So you always gotta prepare, but you always gotta rely on the Holy Spirit. And you go. Man, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to be a storyteller who goes to the library and talks to kids. You are going to people every day. If you go to the grocery yeah. store, if you go to work, are you praying for the Holy Spirit to speak to the people around you? And are you preparing for the opportunity to give them the gospel? Do you have a script? Have you practiced what it's going to look like for you to give the salvation prayer to somebody? Right. If you haven't, do it. But then pray before you go and talk with people because yeah. those are crucial conversations you're going to have with them. I love how you, I say this every episode, you take my jumbled mess and you turn it into gold. Thank you for always reiterating, Teamwork clarifying what I have to say. makes the dream work. So before we go, I want to give, uh, uh, so what he said, you know, you're not, maybe you're not going to preach to hundreds of people. Um, but here's a, something really practical. We all go to weddings and you know people, you're probably someone's best friend. So you might be in the wedding party. You might have an opportunity to give a speech at a wedding, whether you're a best man or the father of the bride or bridesmaid, or, you know, uh, maid of honor. Um, and a really great example of being prepared versus unprepared is 
is at wedding speeches. Um, there's usually a stark contrast between the people who write their stuff down or who have practiced their speech and then the people who shoot from the hip. They're both meaningful and impactful. So I'm not trying to negate or discredit, you know, the bridesmaid who gets up there and just go and just cries and says, I just love you so much. Um, but it hits a little bit different when the, the person who either writes their thing down or who has practiced their speech. So I want to give you some advice. Uh, again, I'm not a professional, but I've been the best man in quite a few weddings. So I've given quite a few best man speeches. Yes, I never been the best man, never given a speech uh, at a wedding. Including, yeah, I was at your wedding. You did. I'm not great at it, but this is what I've realized. Um, when you give a speech at a wedding, like best man or maid of honor, um, you don't really need to communicate how much you love that person and how much that person loves you. They already know that. That's why you're the best man. You're really talking to the audience and the people who are there. And a lot of times the people who are there, which, you know, in this case for yours might be the bride's family. Yeah. A lot of the bride's family has no clue who From you are. From Texas, never right. met me. So this was the same when I was the best man at somebody else's wedding. He moved, you know, they met on a dating app. And then they got married in Georgia and her, her entire family had no clue who this guy was. So I took it as an opportunity not to have a one-on-one -on -one meaningful moment with me and this guy. We already love each other, but it was an opportunity to help uh, convey the type of man he was to her family. So that's a really great uh, uh, opportunity that you have. So if you're giving a speech at a wedding, don't just make it about you and that person, the, the bride or the groom. Convey that person's character to the other party's family. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think it goes back to a point you made earlier on, is it a give or a take? So again, if it's just about the best man and the groom, Hey, I'm trying to take something from this moment. But what you're saying is I'm very cognizant that yeah. my opportunity here is to give a gift yes. to the husband to the family of the bride. I'm yeah. giving something here. And yes. it's for the people listening, not just a special right. moment, broski to broski. Oh, man, remember that time when we... Remember that time? You drove me home when I was blacked out drunk. And I'll, 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 I'll never forget that. 1.30 in you. the morning and we broke into the community pool. Remember that? I'd jump into the water and you, save you, bro. You're my ride or die. They are, he already knows that. And, now, and that doesn't help the other people. It hurts. The, it hurts. Like, wow, okay. Uh, does she really want to marry this dude? Does he still have those tendencies? No, but so many people, I remember afterwards, people came up to me and said, I had doubts about this dude. I had no idea who he was. I didn't know if he was good for her. Mm -hmm. And you helped solidify some of that stuff. So thank you. Which comes to, do you know the core truth that you're trying to communicate with yeah. your speech? Do you know the purpose of it? If you as a speaker don't know why you're sharing what you're sharing, it's going to be hard for the audience to pick it up too. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe you're going to give a speech at a wedding soon and you can take that advice. Well, let's but. be real. I've never really done it at a wedding, but I've done a lot of funerals, which is a mm. bummer. Hopefully I can get that balance back balance <laughs> as a minister. I'm really funeral heavy right now. <laughs> I'd like to get some weddings involved. You got to in boost here. those other numbers. Man. Yeah. Let's get the stats yeah. up. Yeah. All right. Let's go into uh, wisdom of the day. Okay. I really liked what you said about give or take. I made mention of this in the first episode that... We really should communicate in a way that people feel like they can do what we do and they feel empowered by it. And often we get so nervous that the view of the whole speech is me and how I'm doing and what I'm doing. But if we can be vulnerable, if we can meet with the audience beforehand and remember, it's not here I am, it's there you are yeah. and I have something to give to you. That's the best way nice. to communicate. Yeah. 
Uh, my wisdom of the day is um, that quote I said. It was actually from a public speaker named Isaac Sirwanga. And he said, never make a point without telling a story and never tell a story without making a point. I'm going to adjust it a little bit because never is an absolute. I still think you can make a solid point without having a story. But it's nice. So try to always... Always is a, it's an absolute. <laughs> <laughs> try to give a point with a story attached because it makes it that much more impactful. And try to always tell a story that has a point. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of this. If we're going to communicate points, we should endeavor to have a story at some point that comes out of that point. We should live to practice what we preach. And again, I just, I think people who are great storytellers are great at applying the points that they share. Yeah. So let's be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Yeah. Oh, I forgot this too. Sorry. I want to just say this really quick. So the central theme, the central truth that you're trying to communicate, I always feel that the, 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 the most impactful things that I've listened to is when that central truth is conveyed throughout the you know, the speech or the message instead of just being at the very end. A lot of times we want to save that zinger for the very end, which is fine, which is good. But I love how if the central truth is communicated at the beginning. So a lot of times a comedian will do this. They'll have a metaphor that they kind of, they say at the beginning, they tell their joke and then they tie in that metaphor and then it comes full circle yep. and you're like, oh, that was hilarious. Yeah. So it's same, same with, with public speaking. So just an example, I, I remember I, I taught, a few months ago and and the title of my message was what's the big idea and so i gave a big idea uh at the beginning but then i kept referring to the big idea throughout because mm -hmm. i really wanted them to get that in their head the big idea right. um so practice communicating the central truth throughout your speech instead of just at the beginning or just yeah at the it's end. like the hub of a wheel and each point always connected to the hub yes because then people can go to the hub and they can find each spoke of the yeah. wheel yep absolutely all right. Well, I'm going to pray us out. Do it. Father God, I thank you so much for every listener. And Father God, as we gave a speech on how to give a speech, I pray, Father God, that no matter who the listener is, if it's a husband getting home from work and sharing with his wife about the events of his day in a powerful way, if it's a grandpa communicating to his grandchildren about the goodness of God, if it's a team leader communicating to their team in a way that's vulnerable and powerful, Father God, no matter who it is, that we would grow and that we would learn to use our voice because you used your voice and shared your word with us. And that's how we're saved. That's how we have a relationship with you. So I thank you, Father God, that we have a group that's listening to this podcast who live the right way and communicate the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all, folks. Amen. This isn't Looney Tunes. That's all, folks. But <laughs> we're out and we'll be net. We'll be back. <laughs> He threw me off. That was a really good Looney Tunes impression, man. Oh, thanks. Uh, we'll Porky be back. Yeah, Porky the Pig. We'll be back <laughs> next week on the Sewing and Growing Podcast with Jay and Jay.